You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast, where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight, because here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast. My name is John Hudspeth, and I will be your host on this here endeavor. Hope everybody's doing great out there. I, myself, had a fantastic weekend. Uh, Saturday, I helped a buddy move and then had another buddy's birthday party, so it was good you know, seeing some old friends and stuff. And then Sunday, I had a day for the ages. Um, I drove down to Fort Worth uh, to the Bassmaster Classic and Expo. And so I got to walk around all the exhibits, uh, tons of boats, tons of tackle, tons of fishing gear. Uh, Let's see, Jimmy Houston was there. I saw Hank Parker. Uh, I talked to Justin Martin of the Duck Call Room podcast slash Duck Dynasty slash Duck Commander and the Duckmen and all that. Um, It was really cool. He was super personable. Uh, He kind of, I was walking by and, uh, you know, he's he's cut his beard back a little bit and cut his hair. And so I kind of stopped and did a double take and... He saw me uh, stop and just turned right around and, you know, kind of started things off, stuck his hand out, shook my hand, and uh, just sat there and talked to him for a couple minutes. And so it was really cool uh, talking to him. And if you haven't checked out the Duck Call Room podcast, it is some great, easy listening, family fun. Uh, They just kind of talk about nothing, really, just kind of tell stories and Uncle Si's on there. So, yeah, you should check that out sometime. But uh, so, yeah, so that was awesome. And then I went from there to Cabela's in Fort Worth to meet up with uh, some of my friends and my buddy who got the tickets and uh, walked around Cabela's, bought some uh, shorts, some work shorts, some Ariat work shorts, and uh, just got to hang out Cabela's. They actually had some ammo on the shelves, so just throwing that out there. Uh, still pretty limited. It was like 50 BMG. They did have some 308. Um, and then they had some shot- shotgun shells. I didn't see much pistol, but, but it is kind of nice to see a little bit of ammo, you know, coming back on the market. And then, uh, so met my, my buddies there 
and then we drove to the Texas Motor Speedway just up the highway. And uh, my buddy, like I said, got tickets through uh, a company. And so we got to uh, go to the All-Star race, which was awesome. It was my first ever uh, NASCAR race, and it was a great race. Uh, Man, like watching it live and like, you know, not just on TV, but like being there, those things go way faster than they look on TV. And they go around that track way faster. And there's just a whole lot more action than you see when you watch it on TV, when you kind of see the whole field. And, I mean, like people are constantly passing each other or getting past um wasn't any real bad wrecks which is good you know i know that's like part of the entertainment factors the wrecks but uh you know we don't want to see anybody get hurt you know some guys spun out and stuff like that but uh, but yeah it was really nice it was extremely hot uh it was 97 that like the actual temperature was 97 it felt like 110 uh down on the track we heard it was 145 and so the poor drivers were like coming out of their cars with just red faces and just sweating and gosh i can't imagine being like one of the pit crew pit crew guys like wearing the full suit and helmet and all that it it just had to be miserable down there but uh, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. If you've never been to a NASCAR race, highly recommend it. And just, you know, while I was down in the, in the Metroplex area, just kind of, just kind of did the boom, 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 hit all three, uh, awesome events in one day. And so quite a, quite a big day for me. Uh, so yeah, so that was, uh, pretty much my weekend. Um, like I said, nothing like too outdoorsy. I guess the Bassmaster Classic and Cabela's, it's pretty outdoorsy, but it's not really going outside, but, but, uh, just a great weekend. Absolutely no complaints other than summer is officially here. Uh, It's like 90, I think it was 97 yesterday, 96 today, and just high 90s as far as you can see. And so I I knew this was going to happen. All the rain finally shut off, and now it's just hot. And so I hope you guys are staying cool out there. You know, hopefully you can get out uh, on the water or, you know, do something fun that is also somewhat cool. You know, as I'm, as I'm getting older, the heat just, it just seems to get hotter every year. And so, uh, I'm really excited about the boat. Um, we almost got to take it out today, but, uh, my wife had some things, so we're going to try to make me take it out later this week. And then, uh, this coming weekend is father's day. And so if you're listening to this, I guess father's day just happened. So happy father's day to all you, uh, dads out there. Hope you got to spend some time with your family or do something fun or, you know, a lot of dads probably just want to do nothing at all. So if that's you, I hope you got to do nothing. Uh, I plan to uh, to go up and, and hang out with my dad, uh, maybe take him out on the boat. We'll just see what happens. He's he's not a big, like, celebratory guy, you know, and so he'd, you know, he'd be just happy maybe going out to dinner or, or hanging out at the house, and so, but uh, definitely going to go see him. Hopefully, uh, you know, a couple of my siblings are going to come up. I'm sure my brother and his family are, and maybe my sisters, and so we'll just have to see, but... But uh, today we got an exciting podcast. I've been I've been really excited to do this podcast because I feel like across the hunting industry, uh, this topic is just not really talked about much or covered. Um, and I feel like if anything, it has like a negative. Uh, just it, most people come at it from like a negative side. Uh, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, you know, today we're going to talk about baiting. We're going to talk about feeders, feeder setups, uh, how you should hunt them, and you know, just the fact of the matter is that baiting is legal, feeders are legal, and you know, in some states, uh, I'm you know, obviously talking about kind of Oklahoma here, but there's plenty of other states where it's legal, and uh, you know, if people don't like that, 
too bad, you know. Uh, according to biologists and you know state officials and everything, we have this resource of the white-tailed deer, and you know if baiting was really that easy and that effective, there would be no more deer on the landscape. But even with all these states, you know, that allow baiting, uh, in many states the population is still growing. Um, you know, like even with the baiting, they can't control uh, the population, and so it's just a tool, just like anything else. It, you know, baiting is a tool, and so I want to be, you know, outright with you guys. Like I bait, like I said, it's legal. I grew up in a bait state. I've lived in a bait state, and uh, yeah, like it's just. It's a tool that we get to use to manage our deer herd, and that should be celebrated. And so I'm not afraid to talk about it. And, um, you know, like I said, like I, I've heard very few people talk about this topic. And so, uh, you know, if you got somebody new to hunting or who's been hunting forever and they've had questions on baiting or feeders or whatever, send them this way because we're going to cover the whole shebang here. So, so that's what we're talking about today. Uh, we're, you know, specifically going to be talking about like feeders and feeder setups and how to just how to hunt, you know, a feeder or a bait site efficiently. And so without further ado, we're going to jump headfirst into hunting feeders and bait. So before we really get into this, I want to specify two things. One is I'm going to be using the the word feeder a lot or that term, and that's just because that's how I tend to bait, how this area tends to bait the state. Um, you know, if you're listening to this in Louisiana and hunting over a soybean pile or the Midwest, wherever you know wherever baiting is legal, uh, what I'm going to be talking about also applies to you. Just because it's a corn pile or beets or carrots or whatever, that doesn't matter. All this stuff is going to apply. That's just the term I'm going to use because that's what we use around here. Most people use corn feeders. The second thing I want to specify before we get into this is all the stuff I'm talking about is to target a mature buck. You know, Baiting a doe or a young buck is not that difficult. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of strategy you need to imply in those. The strategies and stuff that I'm going to be talking about in this are to hunt a mature big buck over a bait site. And so I wanted to specify that. Like, I don't, if you're a new hunter or just listening in, like, you don't necessarily have to go this crazy if your goal is just to kill any deer. But if you are wanting to kill, a mature old buck using a bait site, this is the stuff that's going to help you do it. So I wanted to specify that. So when I'm talking about, you know, deer doing this or that, I'm talking about a mature buck. And so I just wanted to throw that out there before we really dive off the deep end. So here we go. Here comes the deep dive. So feeders have a lot of upsides and they also have a lot of downsides. Some of the upsides are it concentrates deer in, you know, a single place you know where the deer are going to be. Uh, if you're using like a timed feeder, it can help you know when the deer is going to be in that spot. It creates hunting opportunities. And probably the biggest advantage is it can help you put deer where you want them and not necessarily where it's best for them. And that's where we're really going to dive into in this podcast, how to use that to your advantage. Um, but before we go there, some of the disadvantage of a feeder and some of them kind of mirror what the advantages are. It concentrates deer in one spot. When you concentrate deer in one spot, it makes them more weary. 
Um, usually, you know, because of filling the feeder or hunting the feeder or checking your camera, it concentrates your scent in one spot, which again, makes deer more weary. And then probably one of the biggest disadvantages is that it concentrates hunting pressure. And not only does it concentrate hunting pressure to like one spot, like your stand, but it also concentrates it to one spot on your property, whether that be, you know, land you own, land you have permission, your lease, whatever. Um, you know, like when I was first getting into hunting and I had, I was hunting on my grandpa's place and, and he had a big place. It was fantastic hunting and I did not take advantage of it at all because, you know, like I was in high school and I, I, I had a feeder. I could, you know, I bought one feeder is actually is one that I made myself. But uh, I, I only wanted to hunt that feeder because that was my feeder and everybody I talked to hunted feeders and that's just how you hunted. You sat over a feeder. And so even though I had this vast property to go hunt, I only hunted this one spot. And so, and you know, that's very easy to do even, even now, like even, you know, even though I have multiple feeders and, and, you know, some big properties to hunt, it's very hard to get out of that mindset and explore some new areas and hunt a spot that doesn't have a feeder. And I still struggle with that. And many of you listening to this probably struggle with that. And so, and we're going to get into more of that later, but, uh, but yeah, I just wanted to list some of the advantages, some of the disadvantages. And, uh, I want to talk about kind of setups and then we'll get into more tactics later on. So like I mentioned earlier, one of the biggest advantages is you can kind of get the deer in a spot where it can be better for you. And the tr this, this is tricky because, like I said, when I first started hunting feeders, uh, I would want to go into the thickest thick there was. Like, I wanted to be where the deer were because I thought, you know, the closer the better. And I quickly learned that that was a terrible idea because you're going to be busting deer every time you go in and out of there. And so then I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to go way out here in the center and I'll, you know, draw the deer way out. And I found that that also didn't work because it was too far. Like, you know, they, they want to feel, they want to feel that they can sneak out there, get something to eat and get back without being way out in the open. And so kind of the happy middle ground that I found is I like to be just on the edge of the, of the cover. And maybe that's a little bit inside, you know, I don't, I don't want to be like sitting in a, in a lone tree. 200 yards out in the middle of a wide open pasture because that's just not going to make the deer feel comfortable. You want to find that happy medium to where you don't have to go too far into the cover and the deer don't have to come too far out of the cover. And so like a, a picture perfect scenario, um, I'm thinking of a spot on my brother's place where a creek comes out of this big thick timber and kind of, you know, weasel out, weasels out into the pasture and that creek is lined with trees. And so I set my stand on that creek so that, uh, you know, one, I have a tree to, to sit in and I can kind of use that creek to keep track of my wind. And then I set the feeder between that uh, tree row and the main cover. So it's about, I'm going to say 60 yards, which is a little further than I would like, but it just kind of works because of the tree line and the cover and there's a big hill, you know, they don't feel like they're way out there in the open. And so I'm close enough to the cover, but I don't have to go into it. The deer can come out of the big thick cover, but they're still kind of in a little secluded area. And so like that setup works up really great now. And I'll just keep going with this example, this, this spot that I'm talking about. 
we found our spot that's, you know, somewhat close to the cover, but not too close. Step two and three are completely interchangeable. Like, I don't care which one's two, which one's three. They go hand in hand. The next things you need to think about are wind and access. Now, I think this is another big uh, mistake that people make when they're hunting bait sites is they just want to hunt that bait site no matter what. And and you may get away with it. You may, you know, be able to kill some does, um, but you just, it's, you can't hunt it long term by not paying attention to your wind and your access. And so, like I said, in this particular setup, I got thick woods to the east. Uh, my tree row slash creek are to the west of the big woods, and I got the feeder in the middle. Now, this creek kind of runs a little bit from southeast to northwest, just a little bit. You know, it's not quite straight north and south. It's got a little little cockeyed slant to it. Um, and in my part of the country, I've talked about this one before, our dominant wind is southeast. So, like I said, I have my feeder to the west. I'm sorry, I have my stand to the west of my feeder. And with a southeast wind... My wind is going to fall right down into that creek and go out into a wide open cattle pasture where a deer should never and probably will never be. Um, and I, and I, again, I did that on purpose. Like I said, I only hunt this spot with a southeast, east. I, we don't really have northeast winds. I'm not sure if I would hunt it with a northeast wind or not because I'm afraid my wind might be able to fall into that creek and kind of cut back east. Um, but again, like that's not really what I had in mind. Like I, I put this spot here to hunt it with a Southeast wind because that is the most popular wind. And as long as I hunt it with a Southeast and even like even a straight South, I think my wind would probably still fall down into that Creek and head out to the Northwest. And so as long as I only hunt that with a Southeast wind, there is really no way I should ever get busted. And I mentioned a big hill earlier. So if you keep going to the west, it goes uphill. And so uh, I park on the other side of that hill. I drive through the pasture, go through a gate. I walk up and over that hill, drop down, climb into my tree. My access is blocked by that hill. It's blocked by the tree line that my stand is in. So they can't see me walking in. Again, I'm hunting with a southeast wind. So the entire time I'm walking in, my wind is blowing out into the open pasture, and that is about as close as I can think to a bulletproof stand, as long as I hunt it with the with the right wind. Like I said, with a north wind, with a west wind, it just wouldn't work. And, you know, now, like I said, I have several feeders, I have several stands. If the wind isn't right, I just simply do not hunt that feeder. I just don't. And, um, again, like I, I hunted that stand multiple times. There was one stand, you know, I had a buck coming in. I was hunting it multiple days in a row. I saw deer every single time. I shot a couple pigs out of it. If you hunt this stuff right, and that's why I'm going over it, you can have success. And if you're asking yourself, Hey, like I want to hunt more than just if I only have this particular wind, that's where multiple setups come into play. Um, you know, if you can only have feet, two feeders, don't set those two feeders to where they hunt right with the same wind. You know, try to switch them around. Go to the other side of the woodlot. Go to the other side of the property. Um, you know, if you can ac access your property from two different places, have one where it works from one access, one where it works from the other. The more options you give yourself, the better your hunting is going to be. And, and I don't just mean options as in number of sets. 
but I'm more talking about the number of wind directions you can hunt. You know, like I said, we, we rarely have a west wind here, but I have a couple setups that work for both. Like, you know, let's say a north wind and a west wind, so that even if we have a west wind, I can still hunt. Now, that's more limited because I'm not really focused on west winds. Uh, a lot of times when that works out, it's just that it so happens to work out where, you know, I, I set it for, let's say, a north wind, but it also works to where a west wind would blow still out into a pasture or whatever. And so that's the kind of stuff I look for as like a bonus, but I'm not necessarily looking at. You, I really just try to set it for my main two winds. And then again, like, you know, if you can afford to have... 10 feeders, awesome, because you're just going to spread your footprint out, you're going to spread your options out, and you're just going to have less pressure on each one of those spots. Now, before you go too crazy, I will say um, there is a certain distance apart that I like to have my bait setups. I do think you can set them too close together, and when you set them too close together, you're giving the deer in one particular area more options. Like you're take you're giving the deer an advantage and taking an advantage away from yourself. Because let's say you have two feeders a hundred yards apart, and you can only shoot to one, you know if you're bow hunting you can only shoot to one of them. Well, that's close enough together to where the deer can just go to the other option and you don't have a shot. And even if, you know, even 200 yards is still really close. Me personally, and again, I know I'm lucky we have some larger properties and, and just kind of spread out because of the cattle ranching. But I, I, if I have my, uh, my rathers, I try to put my feeders at least 500 yards apart. And if I can do them further, I will. Um, and you know, that's going to, you know, adjust with the terrain, you know, maybe the, your, the terrain sets up to where you can put them closer. If you have a smaller property, you know, then that's your limit and you have to put them closer. Um, you know, I think unless you're talking a real small property, you know, if you're hunting 20 acres, I probably would not put more than one feeder or one bait site and you're just going to have to be limited. You know, you're going to have to pick, do you want to be able to hunt it more with your most common wind or do you want to hunt it when it's good? Well, you know, like say that cold front wind, but if you're, you know, 80 acres and above, you can probably have two feeder setups. And, you know, and even with that, you kind of, you know, if there's multiple people hunting, then you kind of like how I was just talking about with your, you know, you got to pick whether you want to hunt it more often with the most common wind or, you know, maybe when it's quote good with that cold front wind. Um, but if it was me and I had this property and I was hunting with my, by myself and I could only have two setups, I would have one for a south wind, one for a north wind, or, you know, whatever those two winds are for you. One last thing I want to touch on right here before I move on is if you are in that situation where maybe you're hunting a smaller property or if you have multiple people hunting and, and you're trying to kind of, you, you have to fight that pressure, uh, my advice then would be to keep from over hunting your bait sites. You know, let's say you have four spots. I would take three and, you know, try to do as best as you could with those three spots, you know, try to hunt the wind. But, you know, if you have that off wind, or if you have that cousin or you know, brother-in-law or somebody coming in or whoever, and they want to hunt too, and, you know, have three of the four kind of be your everyday spots. And then that fourth one that call that one, your trophy spot. And that one, you only hunt when you have the right wind in the right conditions. Those other three, you know, you can shoot your does, you can fill your freezer, you can have fun. 
shoot hogs, whatever. Use those three for that stuff, but keep one to yourself or to your group, whatever it is. Whatever it is, keep one to you know use these tactics that I'm talking about because I guarantee you that's going to be where your big buck feels comfortable. You know that spot that doesn't get hunted is left alone. There's less uh, human intrusion, less scent, less pressure. Try to do that uh, if, if if at all possible because I promise you that one will bear more fruit and and like i said mostly i'm talking about big bucks you know he'll figure out that big buck is smart enough to figure out that hey i can come here and i can eat and i don't smell all the human scent that i smell at those other places and so if you are limited on spots or have a bunch of people or whatever you know try to do something like that if possible I do have some like general, you know, tips and tactics that I want to go over, you know, like feeder settings and stuff like that that I'll talk about. But, but before we get to that, I have uh, two more kind of strategic uh, things I want to talk about. One of them is super simple; anybody can do. The other one is a little bit, uh, a little bit more intense, um, and you know, maybe not everybody could do it. But I still want to mention it because it's awesome. So, so the first one, the simple one, is hanging a second stand around your feeder and in the second stand is, is tricky it's probably not something you can just go hang right away when you put your feeder up it's something you might have to kind of watch over time but uh but this second stand is probably going to end up being somewhere 60 to 100 yards away from your feeder um and and again i'm talking about bow hunting here and so you know more than likely you got to stand 20 to 30 yards, you know, that you're, you can shoot the feeder and you're hoping the deer comes in. But this second feeder is for that feeder shy or bait shy deer that is going to come, it's going to check the feeder out, but it might not commit and actually go to. And this is what a lot of mature bucks will do. A lot of more mature bucks will skirt downwind of a feeder. You know, maybe they'll, maybe they can see it. They can definitely smell it. And they're just going to check it out. You know, they're checking for does. They're checking for other deer in the area. And that's what that second stand is going to be for. And so it's, it's again, like it's not necessarily, it has nothing to do with your first stand. It's just going to be on the downwind side, like I said, somewhere in that 60 to 100 yard mark. And, you know, you're looking for a trail or maybe you've seen deer, you know, skirt the feeder from your other stand. And, and so you can't shoot to the feeder from the stand most likely, but it could be the stand that you actually shoot your buck out of because again, like it's going to be in that spot where that deer wants to come and check it and not actually go to the feeder. And, uh, I've, I've done this before. I learned this the hard way out of feeder that was kind of, it was in a real timbered spot. It was probably too far into the timber and, you know, I was getting tons of pictures of bucks at this feeder but I'd go and I'd hunt it and I wouldn't see him. Um, you know, it was prime rut time when I was hunting it. And I just so happened to catch some movement to my left. Uh, this is, again, like this is rut time in November. The leaves were kind of starting to fall. And I saw this buck to my left. Skirted right downwind. Never came in. And so after that, you know, I was kind of watching that direction. Saw a second buck. Saw a third buck. I ended up seeing, I think, five different bucks. One, The last one was really nice, too. Five different bucks uh, came probably 75 yards uh, from this feeder. Not a single one actually came to it. 
They were just going downwind, checking for does. And so that's how I learned this lesson. Ended up moving another stand over there and actually ended up killing a buck there the following year. Um, and so, so yeah, the second stand technique is a great one. And like I said, just about anybody can do it as long as you can afford a second stand. This next tactic is, is I'm not going to necessarily say that it's an advanced tactic. It's more that it just takes a bunch of work and some planning and preparation. So if any of you guys have listened to, you know, the Land and Legacy podcast or followed Adam and Matt or Jeff Sturgis or, you know, whoever, like all the Habitat guys, you've probably heard somebody talk about making bedding areas. And I'm a huge believer in it. I've done it. I've seen it work. And so basically what I did was I, I took that bedding area um, strategy and my bait strategy and I combined them. And, you know, it's what a lot of these guys are doing. They're just using like a food plot, but it works even better with a feeder because, you know, you may have a one acre, two acre food plot, half acre, whatever. You may not be able to shoot that entire food plot. But more than likely with a feeder, you're going to set yourself up to where you can shoot to that feeder. And so, you know, I was talking about earlier with, uh, you know, the wind and the uh, access routes and everything like that. Basically, you're taking all of that and this bedding area technique and you're combining it all into making basically a bulletproof, foolproof hunting setup. And over the years, I've been able to make a couple of these and they work extremely well and so basically you got to pick a good spot with good thick timber and then wide open spot and like i said you you want to think about your wind the wind is very important here and so like i said you know i'm going to keep using just my area here as an example so let's say you got either a straight north or a straight south wind so for this one i'm going to i'm going to use a north wind i'm just going to pretend that i got a straight north wind so, like I said, the, the dream setup for this would be a timbered area with a wide open cattle pasture to the south. And, not, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a cattle pasture. It could be uh, a field, a bare field, wheat field, whatever. Uh, wheat field, you might not want to do a wheat field, but the goal is to get an area to where deer are not necessarily going to want to be behind you. So that's the goal. So, like I said, I like, I like to be kind of on the edge of that timber, right on the edge. And, you know, we're in cattle country, so I, it's pretty easy for me to find a cattle pasture to put behind me. And basically, you just draw a straight line. And so, like I said, let's in this, we'll say the wind is going from the north to the south. So I'm going to find the edge of the woods, and I'm going to go north into the woods about 100 yards. And I'm going to cut in a bedding area. You can use a dozer, chainsaw, doesn't matter. That's up to you. But I'm going to make, you know, somewhere from a half acre to two acre bedding areas is usually what I do. I've, I've never made one bigger. I would love to have one bigger, but the biggest one I've ever made is about two acres. So you got your bedding area to the north. Then you come south about 100 yards, and that's just a great distance for bucks to feel comfortable moving within daylight hours. You know, that's the goal. We're trying to get them here in the daylight. And so usually a lot of times a buck can move 100 yards from the time he gets up to the time it gets dark. So uh, uh, like I said, you go into the woods 100 yards, you made your bedding area. Now you come back to the edge of the woods to the south and you put your feeder. And then to the south of that, you put your stand. So again, you got a straight line. You got bedding area, 
feeder stand. And if you hunt that with a north wind, it's just, it's bulletproof, guys. I mean, it's it's as close as you can get to perfect because you got bedding area and food source. Bedding area and food source. You're to the south, the wind's in your advantage, and it's blowing out into that wide open whatever. And it's just, there's no reason for a deer to circle way down around you. You know, I have had deer bubble out, but a lot of times they don't bubble out past me. You know, they'll kind of come down. They might come right under my stand. They might come between me and the feeder, but that's just a closer shot. And so, you know, if I had a, a complete blank canvas, all I would do, I would make two of these setups. I'd make one to the north, one to the south. If you can find even more setups, great. But uh, like I said, I'm I'm starting to try to do like I'm tr- trying to make that part of my strategy now. Um, and you know, I I think Adam and Matt, the Landing Legacy guys, for that kind of opening my eyes to that. But uh, you know, when you make that bedding area, like I said, it just it concentrates those bucks even more. And then when you have that food source real nice and close they can just get there in daylight hours and provide you with a good shot. And so, so like I said, that's like, that's kind of tippy top of the, if, if you have the equipment and the land and the setup and everything like that, it's just borderline hard for a deer to beat you in that situation. You know, all you have to do then is be patient. That's the hardest part is being patient, you know, cause you're probably going to start getting pictures of that buck at night. You got to stay away. You got to stay away until he starts coming in the daylight and you know some of these setups that i've made like that i may only hunt them once or twice in the entire year but when i do go in there to hunt them it's usually a great hunt you know i have very high success rates with them so uh, i need to come up with a cool name for that setup the first thing that popped in my mind was the eye formation but that's kind of dumb doesn't look like an eye it's just kind of a straight line but anyway if i if i had a you know a crystal ball and could make my own hunting property that's what i would do so now that we've covered the setup pretty extensively and and if you guys have any questions on this i'd love to hear them on uh, my social media pages you know instagram facebook i'd love for you guys to reach out to me but now that we've kind of covered the the setup i have plenty of just kind of random uh things that i've learned over the years and so like to share a bunch of those, but um, the main one, and I've covered this a lot already in this podcast, but just watch the wind, guys. Like I said, just in this bait scenario, these deer are going to be coming in very cautiously, and so hunting with the right wind is a really big one. Uh, another one is just, uh, this, one, this one took me a while to learn too, but knowing when to pull the plug on a setup, uh, and by that I mean knowing that it's just not going to happen in this particular spot. Either, you know, the the deer just won't show up in daylight, they're not showing up at all, or, you know, it could be an instance where uh, you just, you've overhunted it, you know, over the course of a couple years or one year, uh, three years. You know, I had one of the most successful feeder setups that I've ever had. Uh, I shot multiple mature bucks over this feeder uh, after, you know, killing a couple bucks and hunting it for a few years the deer just stopped coming, you know, I just, I guess I had hunted it too much, even though I felt like I was hunting it sparingly, um, and the deer just stopped using it, and so I picked up the entire setup, I moved it maybe 200 yards as the crow flies, and back came the deer, because they just, they didn't associate, even, you know, it was the exact same stand, exact same feeder, really not that far away, 
but they just didn't associate that spot with danger anymore. And so it just kind of refreshed the whole thing. And so I'm still basically hunting the exact same area. I'm just, you know, a little bit to the side with a fresh set. So that's a really good tip. Another thing I try to do when I have these feeder setups is, you know, nine times out of 10, I have a, a trail camera on the feeder to try to get inventory and figure out when the deer are using it. And if possible, I try to uh, access the setup from a different place than when I access it to hunt it, if that makes sense. So if, if I'm going in there to fill the feeder or just to pull the card, you know, check the camera, I try to come from a different way. Um, I'll, you know, make noise or whatever, but I just, I, I try to act differently than if I was going in to hunt it. You know, like I said, if it's possible, come from a different direction, um, you know, a different way, different wind direction, whatever. Um, but just, you don't want to like use your hunting access trail to access it, to pull that card. Because again, like you're just telling the deer, Hey, this is how I'm coming in. This is how I'm coming in. And you're in danger when I come this way. And so, you know, if possible, I, I think I might've spoken about it earlier, but you know, like, uh, you know, try to use the ATV, a tractor pickup or whatever, but like, you almost want to make it obvious. Like you want the deer to know that you're coming so that they're, you know, so that they're not taken off guard. Whereas when you're going in there to hunt it, you know, you're trying to be careful. You're trying to be scent free. You're watching the wind and you don't want the deer to know that you're there so that they will come into it. But you know, when you're, when you're making noise or, you know, you got a vehicle running or something, they basically, they know that you're there. And so they know that they shouldn't go there, but, and then, you know, they hear you leave and then they know the coast is clear. But again, even if you can't drive up to it, walk in from a different direction, you know, just do something to where you're not using the same path as you are when you go in to hunt it and go to your stand. Cause that's another thing. Like when you're going into your, to pull your card, you're not necessarily going to the tree where your tree stand is or your blind or whatever. And so, you know, having sent around that feeder is different than having sent around your stand tree because they might know that, Hey, we need to try to get downwind of this feeder, this bait site. But if they learn that they need to get downwind of your stand also, that's when you're really in trouble because them going downwind of the feeder doesn't necessarily, you know, ruin your hunt. But if they're going downwind of your stand, that very well could ruin your hunt. So you just got to be smart about it. So this tip is probably a little more obvious to some people, but I try to varmint proof my feeders as best I can because you would be surprised how much corn raccoons can eat and I definitely know how much corn hogs can eat and so varmint proofing your feeders it just it'll just save you money and headache and it'll make the deer use it more uh, because you don't have to worry about filling it you don't have to go there as often if you can afford a feeder with like a, a built-in varmint cage that is obviously the best way um, I've been moving to the all-season feeder stand and fill absolutely love them uh raccoons can't reach them they can get their arms through there but they usually can't reach the spinner hogs don't mess with them as much uh you know they the taller feeders the hogs can kind of rub on and and usually get some corn out but these are just shorter and it's harder for them to do that um my protein feeders i, I have one protein feeder that i don't feed protein out of i just it's cheaper and so i tried to use it and uh man the hogs they absolutely can wiggle that thing. Even though I have the legs staked in, um, the hogs will get up there. They'll hit the thing with their nose. If the, the bigger ones can reach it. They'll rub up against it and you know rub corn out. And so they can they can empty that thing really quickly. Um, and so 
uh, yeah, if you can fence those off, that is obviously the best. Keep the hogs out. But but even the raccoons, I mean, I can't tell you how many pictures I've gotten over the year, over the years of raccoons reaching through cages and spinning that feeder <laughs> and and feeding all their buddies down below. You know, they'll work in teams. Um, but I mean, chicken wire wire panels uh you know just something uh you you know some feeders come with like those little bitty like eight to ten inch wire cages those are not good enough raccoons can usually climb on those and still reach their arm through you know it has to be wide enough and if you're just using like a 55 gallon uh barrel with you know tripod legs you know get some chicken wire wrap that thing up zip tie it and uh, you can usually get it to where those are fairly fairly varmint proof you know, get you some T-posts, put some T-posts in the ground, wire the legs to that with a big heavy wire. That'll uh, help keep the hogs from being able to shake it and stuff. But, uh, you know, one, obviously, it, like I said, it saves you money because you're not using as much corn. But, but the more you keep those varmints from being able to mess with it, the less problems you're going to have with them and the more success you're going to have getting deer in there to eat that corn. Because, man, even coons, if you get a bunch of coons coming into your feeder, like even they can keep deer from coming in. Uh, you know, sometimes the deer will get in there and kick them away. But uh, if you if you got five raccoons in there and a single doe coming in, a lot of times the coons are going to win that battle. And, uh, and, you know, if your doe's not coming to your feeder, there's a better chance your bucks won't come to your feeder. And so just the more you can keep the varmints at bay, the better. Something I want to touch in, touch on while we're, um, you know, talking about feeders and baiting every, and everything is bait additives. And, uh, you know, like apple flavored corn, uh, little, you know, packets you pour in with the corn, all the fruity stuff, the stuff that comes in a jug, in my personal opinion, you're wasting your money on that stuff. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, you know, some of it might work. It, I think that stuff is more meant for, like, you know, pouring some stuff on the ground and try to get, like, quick success. But um, I, I really don't think you need to add in any of that to your feeder or, and honestly, even your pile of corn you put on the ground. Um, deer like corn. It's natural to them. It's on the landscape. And, uh, and yeah, I, I just don't think there's much you need to add. If you do feel like you need to give it a little, you know, kick, uh, the best, cheapest way I've ever seen is go to Walmart and go to the baking section, and they sell these little bottles of vanilla extract for like, I think they're 68 cents, and uh, crack you a bottle of that, mix one bottle in with a 50-pound bag of corn, pour that on the ground, and I have actually had deer pass a feeder to go eat that off the ground. Now, do not put that in your feeder. Do not put that stuff that I just talked about in your feeder because it will cake up, it will clot up, and it will stop your feeder up. But if you're baiting on the ground, uh, you know, if rifle season's coming up or you got a new spot or, you know, you got a buddy come in and you don't have a, a setup for him, uh, I will say the vanilla extract in the corn I have noticed a difference with that. It just has a real strong flavor. But, you know, I don't think you need to be paying 20 bucks for, you know, something that you're going to pour on a 50-pound bag of corn for some, you know, miracle attractant. Like, I just, I don't think you're helping yourself that much. Uh, but, you know, 68 cents, that's not that bad, and, and I do think it helps. And so, so that's my two cents on uh, on attractants and stuff. So I'll leave it at that. I don't want to, you know, bust anybody's bubble too bad, but uh, I just I don't think uh, it's worth your money. One last topic I want to cover because I know I'll get a bunch of questions about it is uh, run times on your feeders. I'm sure a lot of people are going to ask about this. 
And I don't think there is like a a golden ticket, a you know specific runtime that's going to get more or less deer. Um, I will say, in my experience, the more corn you can throw, the better. You know, there is a point where you get to you know if you don't have a high deer population, you can throw too much and it'll start to rot or you'll get more varmints. But uh, you know, my buddy out in West Texas that I hunt with, I was out there this past year sitting in a stand by myself. And that feeder started going off, and I thought the thing broke because it just kept going and kept going and kept going. Turns out he has it set for like 12 seconds. <laughs> and uh, uh, But, you know, he has a, he's out there in West Texas. He has a very high uh, deer population, and the deer come, and they eat it all. And so he runs it for a long time, and he can afford it, so that's what he does. Me, personally, I can't afford to fill my feeders all that often. And so I, I try to get about, if, if, if the feeder, you know, if deer are coming in and they're coming in consistently, I like to get at least six seconds per day. And sometimes I'll do that all in one feeding. Sometimes I'll split it to where it does, you know, three seconds in the morning, three in the evening, or four and two. Um, I, I will say I do tend to maybe run mine a little longer in the evening because I just feel like, that's a better hunting time. You know, a lot of bucks tend to go um, in the evening, but but I have had some success in the morning, and especially does. I feel like I almost get more action out of does in the morning, and so if you're wanting to kill some does, I would still run it uh, in the morning. So maybe you do two and four or something, or um, you know. But you you want to make sure it's throwing something because on a two second timer, like I mean, you're just barely going to get a trickle out there. It's not going to throw a whole lot, and so but I've found. You know, running a feeder between six to eight seconds per day. Um, if you put six bags in a feeder, that will usually last about a month. You know, 300 pounds. Um, and again, that's with, you know, some coons and all that good stuff. Uh, and all that's going to vary a little bit. And, you know, every timer is a little different. Every feeder is a, motor is a little different, I should say. And so, um, but for me, I like to run at least six seconds a day. And then sometimes, you know, if I have one feeder that's, just seems to be better than the others, you know, more deer, or maybe my target buck is coming into this one, you know, I'll bump those numbers up a little bit and, and give them a little more. Um, but like I said, I, I have seen like the more you can throw a lot of times, the more deer you can get because, you know, especially once those does get trained and if those does are coming in, you know, right when that motor comes off, if you get four or five does come in there and vacuum up all that corn, then there's none left for when that buck comes in later, you know, right before dark or even after light. Um, and so you kind of have to adjust it to your deer population, but I did want to touch on it because I was sure I was going to get some questions. Um, if you're really, really strapped for cash, um, maybe you can afford a feeder, but you got to be careful, you know, with how often you fill it. I would only have it go off in the evening. I just do it once a day in the evening, you know, three to four seconds. Like I said, if you kind of convert what I was just talking about, you know, if you put six bags in there and you run it three or four seconds, once a uh yeah once a day you know you might be able to make that 300 pounds of corn last for two months and still have pretty good success like i said you know it might not be worth hunting in the morning uh, but at least you can get some good evening hunts all right i know i said that was the last one but i just thought of another quick one so i want to go ahead and throw this one out there too so when i got my very first feeder uh i had a ladder stand and um Basically, I set my ladder stand up in you know what I thought was the perfect tree, trimmed a bunch of branches, and then I set my feeder directly out in front of it. 
Um, and I kind of learned over time that, you know, anybody who's hunted out of a, a tree stand a little bit, you know that shooting directly in front of you is not always that easy, especially if you're trying to stay seated and not stand up, which I prefer to do. I try to stay seated. And so just over time, it just kind of dawned on me. And, you know, there's probably some people rolling their eyes that I'm giving this tip. But, you know, like I said, I, I didn't know this at one time, so I want to throw this out there. And so... I started moving my feeder basically to a 45 degree angle instead of straight in front of me. And so, you know, I'm a right-handed bow shooter, so I hold my bow in my left hand and, you know, to kind of shoot across your body, you know, it's more comfortable to shoot to your left than it is straight in front of you or definitely to your right. And so nowadays, I, like I said, I'm a right-handed shooter, so I always have the feeder angled off to my left just a little bit just so that I can stay seated I don't have to move as much and it's a much more comfortable shot to kind of shoot across your body and so a lot of times I'll put the feeder where it needs to be and then where you know whatever tree I pick for my tree stand I'll just rotate it around about 45 degrees like I said and just gives yourself an easier shot all right guys I'm going to go ahead and shut this one down I'm sure I'll think of some more stuff but if I do, I'll just put it in a later podcast. So this one might, uh, you know, open me up to a little hate because I could get, again, like I know that baiting and feeders and all this stuff is kind of a hot topic in the in the hunting industry. But like I said at the beginning, it's legal, it's a management tool, and so why not use it, you know? I think if people in other states, you know, if they suddenly made baiting in their state, I have a feeling a lot of people would switch and start doing it. And so, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope it was helpful for everybody. Please, please, please hit me up if you have any questions or comments. Uh, Man, my Instagram page is slowly but surely growing, and uh, I love the interactions I get on there. I've had a lot of people, you know, send me pictures, ask me questions, uh, just message me with all kinds of stuff. And so, uh, like I said, I think I even had had a guy from uh, a different state who's planning to come here and, uh, and hunt some public land. He hit me up. And, and yeah, I absolutely love that stuff. Uh, please, you know, I haven't asked this in a long time. Please, please, please go to whatever you're listening to this on and give me a five-star review. That stuff really helps getting the name out there. And, um, yeah, I think that's about it. I got a lot of fishing planned uh, this weekend. This was a, this was felt like the first true week of summer this week. It was really hot. Uh, today, me and my boss had to st- stack a bunch of rocks up to on a pallet so that we could move them, and just not how you want to spend a hot summer day. So, all right, guys, happy Father's Day out there! I hope all you guys had a great weekend, spent some time with the family, and until next week, I will see you guys later.